This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Uh, as happens on a regular basis, we're having an election next week, making this our pre-election special. So later in today's program, we're going to have a talk both with Dr. Bill Durston, candidate for the 3rd Congressional District here in California, running against incumbent Dan Lundgren. And we're going to talk propositions with R.V. Scheid of the Sacramento News and Review. So by all means, stay tuned for that later in today's program. And we expect to have a word or two out of Will Durst on the eve of election 08. Before we begin, dear listener, I would like to point out an email that I received that I think I need to inform you about. Last year, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting ran a contest to try and, uh, well, uh, promote some new talent. Well, this year the CPB has a new initiative that builds on last year's talent quest. Allow me to quote from their email. We're sending this message on behalf of the Association of Independence in Radio, AIR. AIR wants you to let them know about a brilliant producer, reporter, or sound artist you think has the potential to stretch public radio beyond current broadcast boundaries. They'll reward 12 to 15 of the nominees with twenty to $40,000 each to experiment. Who do you know who can most surprise them by harnessing emerging digital tools and distribution channels to give new shape to the sound of public radio? This contest is being called the Public Radio Makers Quest 2, MQ2. The website in question for this initiative is www.mq2.org. Now, if any of you out there can think of any radio program that's pushing the boundaries for public radio... We think that by all means, you should go to that website and make some nominations. Now, are we suggesting you go to this website and nominate us for this process? Of course we are not doing that. But dear listener, we think this is a most worthy cause, www.mq2.org. If you choose to do this, you'll need to do it by midnight, Halloween, October 31st, Eastern Standard Time. Well, let us commence this program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 30th of October. And it was on the 30th of October in 1888 that American inventor John Loud was granted the first patent for a ballpoint pen. Loud was unable to devise a suitable ink, however, so the pen was never made. Oddly enough, it was 53 years ago yesterday, on the 29th of October in 1945, that the first American ballpoint pen, which was an unauthorized knockoff of an invention by the Hungarian Laszlo Biro, went on sale for $12.95, which is also why on occasion you'll find someone ask you if you have a Biro in Europe. On October 30th, 1922, Benito Mussolini became the fascist premier of Italy. On this date in 1938, American actor Orson Welles caused a nationwide panic with his broadcast of The War of the Worlds. For past programs that were in non-election years, we've actually had a tribute to, to that event of 1938. And we'd like to refer you to our archives at radioparallax.com 
for that segment, which, uh, which you know, you, you might find entertaining if you missed it the first time. And finally, it was on October 30th in 1974 that American boxer Muhammad Ali scored an upset victory over heavyweight champ George Foreman in eight rounds. The match was called the Rumble in the Jungle and was held in Kinshasa, Zaire, which has now been renamed the Republic of Congo. I think for our quip of the day, we'll uh, remind you of some dialogue, which is available on the excellent documentary, When We Were Kings, wherein one of America's great comedy teams, that being Howard Cosell and Muhammad Ali, which I may not get exactly right, but it went something like this. You're not going to psych out George Foreman, Muhammad. You have to admit, you're not the boxer you used to be. Oh yeah, Howard? Well, I've been talking to your wife, and she say you're not the man you used to be either. Dang, I missed those exchanges. Our quote of the day comes from entertainer Oscar Levant, who once said, The only difference between the Democrats and Republicans is the Democrats allow the poor to be corrupt too. Our joke of the day comes from an email sent to us by Shanta. The title of the email was, And then the fight started. Part A. When I got home last night, my wife demanded that I take her someplace expensive. So I drove her to the gas station. And then the fight started. After retiring, I went down to the Social Security office to apply for benefits. The woman behind the counter asked me for my driver's license. I realized I'd left it at home. I told the woman, she said, unbutton your shirt. I opened my shirt, revealing my silver chest hairs. She said, that hair in your chest is proof enough for me, and she processed my application. When I got home, I told my wife about it. She said, you should have dropped your pants. You might have gotten disability, too. And then the fight started. And finally, so I rear-ended a car this morning. We're on the side of the road, and the other driver gets out. And I realized, well, he was a dwarf. He checks out both bumpers and stomps over and looks at me and says, I am not happy. So I look down at him and say, well then, which one are you? And then the fight started. Our stat of the day, well... It turned out in the final presidential debate, Joe the Plumber Wurzenbacher of Toledo, Ohio, was mentioned 26 times. By contrast, the word economy was used 16 times. And the one I really find amazing, the word Iraq came up six times. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week a few weeks back for health food stores after an Italian researcher isolated an erection-inducing plant compound in a widely sold Chinese herb known as horny goatweed. The compound, Icarian, may be as effective as Viagra, researchers say. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for Edna Jester of Blue Ash, Ohio, who refused to return a football that neighbor kids accidentally tossed into her yard. Police said they had to arrest the cranky 89-year-old when she refused to return the $15 ball. Police said she chose to make a stand. 
finally, it was an ugly week recently for rushing the season after a St. Louis radio station switched to an all-Christmas music format in early October. Here's one from the miscellaneous file. Apparently officials at Saguaro National Park in Arizona are embedding microchips in thousands of cactuses because bootleggers and homeowners are stealing the saguaros. Apparently the younger specimens of the giant cactuses, which can grow up to 50 feet, can fetch $1,000 on the black market. Everyone wants a saguaro in their front yard, said Jim McGinnis, a state cactus cop. We would like to say a couple things about the election here in, in this segment. The first being that it appears that Barack Obama has such a commanding lead in the Electoral College that this election is unstealable. However, we do find it unsettling uh, to read the article by Greg Pallast, we've had on this show four times, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in the current edition of Rolling Stone. I think it's fair to say that had not the economy caused the public of the U.S. to sort of wake up and smell the coffee, uh, well, that's, that's really what's, I think, making this unstealable. With the election five days away, the Electoral College tallies are Obama 364, McCain 157, with three states and 17 electoral votes in a dead heat. If it weren't looking so lopsided at the moment, we would be nervous. But the way it looks now, Obama has every state carried by John Kerry, plus Iowa and New Mexico, leaving him just six votes short. He has seven-point leads in the polls in Virginia, Colorado, and Nevada. McCain has to swing all of those red. The three states that are tied, Missouri, North Dakota, Montana, McCain needs them all. Indiana, Republican stronghold Indiana, he's down by one percentage point. He has to swing that red. He cannot afford to lose North Carolina, where he's down by two percentage points, or Florida, where he's down by three percentage points. And as we enter the last week of election, the state that turned the tide in 2004, Ohio, well, John McCain is down by seven percentage points there as well. If next Tuesday John McCain is elected president, it will be because GOP operatives stole the election. And that, folks, will I think spell the end of the American experiment with democracy. Of course, a theft that brazen would be noted by, I think, everyone <laughs> in the civilized world. That would be fraud on the scale of something practiced by Belarus. Anyway, this promise has to be pretty much an all-political show, but we should insert just a little bit of science. Oh, and by the way, we did conduct a wonderful interview uh, earlier this week with Dr. Freeman Dyson a man who was, uh, was a close personal friend of some of the great names of 20th century physics. We plan to air that on next week's show. Freeman Dyson is a great, uh, great mathematician, and I wish I would have asked him about the fact that uh, there's a proposal in California to teach 8th graders algebra. Of course, the latest news on that, that a judge has halted this harebrained scheme. Fortunately, State Superintendent of Schools Jack O'Connell has challenged uh, this knuckleheaded idea, and the courts uh, have agreed. And at least for the time being, eighth graders appear to be safe from those who have decided that 
failing to teach this to ninth graders isn't good enough. Now we have to fail to teach it to eighth graders as well. But uh, I, I love this uh, science story. Uh, those of you familiar with the subject of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, may be aware of the fact that the very first effort they made in this direction was back in 1960 when they turned some radio telescopes toward two nearby stars that were like our own sun. One of those stars was Epsilon Eridani, which actually you can pick out later tonight if it's, if it's clear. It's pretty close by, uh, by as these things go, 10.5 light years away, only eight stars are closer. And astronomers have now discovered that it has several, several planets orbiting it. It appears to resemble our own uh, solar system. It's got two asteroid belts and an outer icy ring resembling our own Kuiper belt. When they had turned the radio beacon on it back in 1960, well, not surprisingly, they didn't hear any broadcasting going on. But the fact that it has a, a planetary system like our own solar system is, is very, very interesting stuff. In the weeks to come, we're going to bring an astronomer on and talk a little bit about this. And from the world of biology, we have the following story from New Scientist magazine. Turns out that mobile DNA that can jump between plant and bacterial species once hopped between diverse mammalian species. These DNA bits are called transposons, and they're apparently common in mammals, humans included. Biologists have always thought of them as being sort of parasitic bits of DNA. It was thought they could relocate within an individual's uh, uh, genetic material, but they were not able to switch species. Well, it turns out they can. Researchers at the University of Texas found that uh, apparently millions of years ago, a transposon called spin, which they've dubbed space invaders, jumped into several mammalian species by piggybacking on a virus. The research team found near-identical lengths of spin in seven of the 26 animal genomes they sequenced. The more we learn about DNA, the more we learn that it does seem to get around. Genes seem to be able to jump species to species uh, better than we ever realize, which does have some implications for those who would like to see genetically modified organisms uh, become more commonplace. That too is a topic we will return to in the weeks and months to come. And, and by the way, isn't it kind of a sad commentary that some of the best political reporting we've seen in the last couple of weeks has been in Rolling Stone? The article by Matt Taibbi about the return of Karl Rove is, uh, is a chilling uh, piece of writing. But, uh, you know, with a certain, certain style, <laughs> I did like the quote in the middle of it that... Uh, referring to Karl Rove's maneuvering and how some people call it brilliant, said Taibbi, one is tempted to call this brilliant tactics, except that it isn't brilliant any more than pointing a gun at a Korean store owner is a brilliant way to make $135. And he closed by noting that the reason Rove continues to survive is the same reason that Johnny Cochran was called a genius for keeping a double murderer on the golf course. Because this generation of Americans has become so steeped in greed and social Darwinism that it can no longer distinguish between cheating and achieving, between enterprise and crime, and can't bring itself to criticize winners any more than it knows how to be nice to losers. But embedded in the article was something that I just think you have to laugh at. It was titled Threat Assessment, The Good, the Bad, and the Scary, which included the following miscellaneous items. For the first time ever, the Humane Society has made a political endorsement backing Obama over the fact that Sarah Palin supported Aerial wolf hunting. 
Also, the item that rock and roll jackass Ted Nugent wished Sarah Palin Godspeed in her moose hunting. And at that, we made some allusion to recently. As Lehman Brothers folded, its top executives got $2.5 billion in bonuses. That's with a B. And I had to get a bang out of the recent edition of the Humor Times, which contained the following article from the Faux News section. GOP campaign increasingly resembling unproduced Goldie Hawn film. Medical quotes David Logston, who teaches at the University of Minnesota's School of Film and is considered the world's foremost expert in the cinema of Goldie Hawn, noted that in choosing Alaska Governor Sarah Palin to be his running mate, John McCain was taking a leaf from an unproduced Hawn vehicle from 1984 titled Contestant-in-Chief. Reportedly, in the screenplay, an evil presidential candidate chooses the American he thinks is least likely to catch on to his nefarious plans to destroy the country. Enter Goldie Hawn, a former beauty pageant contestant, small-town mayor, and hockey mom. Actually, that's a bit of the comedy stylings of Mr. Andy Borowitz. And here's an item we have to mention briefly, uh, a most unwelcome item in this election year. The Christian Science Monitor is going to end its daily print edition. The paper announced last Tuesday that after a century of continuous publication... The Monitor will abandon its weekday print edition and appear online only. This cost-cutting measure makes the Monitor the first national newspaper to largely give up on print. You know, one of the best interviews we ever conducted on this program was with Richard C. Hodlett, who wrote for the Christian Science Monitor. Mr. Hodlett, as far as we know, is still out there and active, and, and by God, we need to bring him back on this show. We'll see what we can do about that. Well, it's part of American political lore, I think, at this point. Uh, But uh, Joe the Plumber, the guy that uh, featured so prominently in the third debate between Barack Obama and John McCain, well, it turns out Joe has come on board and officially endorsed John McCain. Uh, Not a big surprise, perhaps. The news media was eating this up for a while. Who will Joe the Plumber endorse? Well, now we know. Not surprisingly, it's Senator McCain. We decided to do our own investigation of, of, uh, of a working man, a plumber. In fact, get a local plumber's opinion on, on what this race means. So to do that, we're now going to invite to our program Evo the Plumber. Welcome, Evo. Thank you. Now, Evo, we, we, do want to, we do want to verify you do work as a plumber. Yes, I do. I'm a licensed plumber under state of California. And, and you have your own plumbing business. I do have my own plumbing business. Which puts you one up on Joe the plumber who just wants to have his own plumbing business. That's a big difference. Well, Joe is meant to represent the average working man here in America. So we're, Evo, we're going to use you as our representative of the working man here in America. Does that sound okay? It's all right. So I'll put it to you straight. McCain versus Obama, who do you like? I like Senator Obama. And why is that, sir? He represents and supports working-class people. Fair enough. Let me ask you this. What do you think about the claim by uh, Senator McCain that if Obama got in there, he would bring socialism to America? I don't think so. I live under socialist country, under Tito and former Yugoslavia. It's not even close. you got to face it to know what is it. And just to clarify, you emigrated uh, to America from Croatia. No, it's Croatia, but it's the state of former Yugoslavia. I immigrated in 1986. 
Now, when people in America use the word socialism, it's it's meant to have an automatically bad uh, bad connotation. And and I gather, for the most part, you weren't a big fan of the socialist state of the former Yugoslavia. That's why I came here. So so I take it then uh, the idea of establishing uh, socialism as as you knew it w- would not be very appealing to you. Absolutely not. And yet you have no fear of this from Senator Barack Obama. Absolutely not. And I take it in your in your experience, the Democratic Party has been sort of more aligned with, say, union plumbers. Union plumbers, they've always been supported by the Democratic Party. They support working class people. I don't know about state of Ohio, Ohio where Joe Plummer come from, but they support there. <laughs> so you're not really swayed by McCain's, uh, McCain's uh, putting himself out there as an advocate for the working man. Absolutely not. Yeah, I just read that Senator McCain notes that he's not a rich man, although apparently between he and his wife, he's worth about $136 million. Well, there you have it. I think we've established here on Radio Parallax that a working man, an honest-to-God plumber, one who owns his own business, is not necessarily going to go out there and vote Republican, to say the least. No way. I vote for Barack Steve Obama. Now let's hear from America's foremost political comic, our old pal Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I just want to say, don't vote. You don't have to. No one's going to make you. This isn't the Soviet Union. You're not going to be forced from your beds and dragged to the polls against your will. Relax. I mean, things are pretty good the way they are, aren't they? Well, kinda. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if it is broke, hell, you're only one person. What possible difference can one vote make? Forget Florida. That was eight years ago. And I know there's a war on, but Iraq, Iran, pretty much the same thing, isn't it? (laughs) I bet they get each other's mail all the time. As for domestic policy, what do you care if your 401k is now a 101k? You're not planning on retiring soon, are you? Better not be. Like, you're supposed to care if some barren, deserted beach does or doesn't get blanketed by a thick film of 30 weight because of offshore drilling. Find another beach. What's the big deal? You have a lot better things to do than stand in line in someone's smelly garage, don't you? Do something worthwhile. Jog on over to your neighborhood library before it's closed for good and read up on other people who never voted. Although, admittedly, they didn't write a lot of memoirs. You could work on that extra room for Grandma for when she moves in after the nursing home loses its federal funding. Or take a farewell trip on your local mass transit system and wave bye-bye to the fire station and the neighborhood rec center. That would be fun. Besides, for some people, Tuesdays are just birhythmically bad. Don't vote. Stay home. Who cares? But remember, if you don't vote, you can't bitch. And you do do plenty of that, don't you? For Parallax Radio, or Radio Parallax, or whatever it is, I'm Will Durst. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 